Well, hello, church. Hello. Uh, well, there are four of you awake. That was nice. Uh, sometimes people will do that. They'll say, well, we'll try that again. But I don't. One chance is all you got with me. And I'm done. Uh, it's, it's over. It's good to, good to see you. We're glad, that, uh, glad to be with you. Um, little background for those of you who don't know what I do and where I come from. Uh, we're up, uh, just north of Detroit, Michigan. Uh, most of our work is actually down in Detroit. We're a church of about a thousand people, 70% uh, of whom had no church five or six years ago. So that's kind of fun. We get to teach them what normal is. And that's, uh, although from, uh, we've, uh, we've had actually 200 move out down south in the last year because of our economic Katrina that Detroit has gone through. And so we've met with them. The elders meet with them first and say, now when you go find a Church of Christ down there, their rules are going to be different. So let's get you ready for what you're about to, you know, what you're about to receive. May the Lord bless you. And then we show them right up. Um, little fledglings go right into the grinder. But uh, that's, that's us. Uh, we work a lot with the homeless. We work a lot with atheists. We work a lot with uh, violent people. Uh, Detroit is a beautiful city this time of year when gangs come out with the new colors. It's just... Uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, it is, it is a, it, it's a wonderful place to work. We've got uh, 15 wonderful elders, and out of 22, that's not bad. You know, so, no, we have 15 elders, and they're, they're wonderful people. And our church uh, believes that they are all ministers, and they really believe it, which is huge and great and wonderful. Uh, they allowed me to preach here today so that your minister would look good to you. Um, normally, people do throw a party for them after and then send them on cruises. But uh, they gave me a passage out of uh, Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32, starting at verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive them their sin. If, if not... Then blot me out of the book you have read. That's a strange passage. What's going on? Well, Moses had gone up to receive the Ten Commandments, and he did. And uh, as he's up at the top of the mountain, the devil's getting the people on the bottom of the mountain to worship golden calves. Uh, that make a lot of sense to us, but there were some sins involved there. Cows being a symbol of life, and they're going into the desert. So here Moses comes down, sees what's going on, becomes the most evil man in history because he breaks all Ten Commandments at the same time. Uh, look it up. And then uh, he goes down and he says, what have you done? Uh, some of them will get killed. Some of them repent. Moses goes to God and goes, what am I supposed to do here? But he says something in there that's very odd. He goes, if you're not going to forgive them, then block me out because I don't want to be there either. Really? I was raised on the far, 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 far right of our brotherhood. Most sermons were on hell because they assumed that's where most of us were going. And we knew an awful lot about hell. We knew of its geography and topography and, and the light and temperature actually fairly well. We were eight years old. I can remember several of us sitting on the very sticky, smelly row where the eight-year-old boys were sitting. As they preached on hell, you could feel the heat and you could, you could hear the devil call your name because you knew it was just a matter of time, according to the preacher. We were, like I said, only eight, but we were fully formed spiritual paranoids by this stage. <laughs> fully formed in our fear. And then the preacher read something. He read Romans chapter 9, and it blew me away and scared me. And to this day, I'm not sure I get it. Romans chapter 9, starting at verse 1. I speak the truth in Christ. He, he has to say this for what he's about to say. I'm not lying. 
My conscience confirms it, the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, maybe I didn't get all that. Maybe, maybe our teaching on hell wasn't exactly accurate, and I don't know exactly how it's made and what's literal and what isn't, but to go to God and say, tell you what, save them and send me to hell. That, I, I can't do that. I love, I love you. Some of you I actually do love personally because I know you. But as a group, I love you. Downtown Church is one of those churches that still likes us. So, you know, that, yes. Uh, that, that's a shrinking pool of, of joyous fellowship. You know, so we're very happy with that. Um, we, lo we love you. But I, I cannot say that I could volunteer to God. All right, you know, if one of them's going to hell, instead send me and let them go to heaven. I'm not there. Moses was there. And what gets me about Moses is he was there for people he didn't like. Well, let's back up a little bit. Moses isn't a cartoon. He's not a Prince of Egypt cartoon. He is a fully realized, irascible, difficult individual. He is not even a sweet or pleasant person. Now, some of this is um, due to his life. He had an interesting life. Age of 40, he's smart, educated, buff, ready to go. Uh, sees a man being beaten, and he attacks the attacker, kills the attacker. And I don't know what you think about violence and the like, but I think that was justified. And he thought, right, this is my way. I'm going to show my people we can be free. And the people said, not interested. We're going to turn you in. And he runs. He runs into the desert, but he doesn't run because he's a coward. He runs because he has no backup, no people. And as he's in the desert, what does he find? There he comes to a well. There's some women trying to get water, but a bunch of Arab tribesmen are harassing them. Alone, he charges in the middle of the Arab tribesmen and whoops them. Or I think the King James put a whoop at the bun. Uh, <laughs> He whoopeth them mightily, you know, and picked them up and whoopeth again, you know, that type. But it, and, it, and they ran off, and the girl said, we want to introduce you to our father. And the father said, you know, I, I got a deal for you. And Moses marries one of them, and then he becomes head of sheep, Sinai division, for 40 years. That's all he does. Now he's an 80-year-old guy. We can assume not so buff as he used to be. I was talking to a bunch of young men recently, and they were saying, we're not going to let our, ourselves go when we get older. They were talking about their muscles uh, like our dads did. And I looked at them and said, you don't get a choice. <laughs> it's not like your parents chose that either. They used to have a life before they had you as well. They used to, they used to be interesting. That all died when you showed up. Instead of playing sports, they have to take you to sports. Life goes away. And then, you know, now, yes, us older individuals, we still have our six-pack, but we now have a protective covering over it to keep it from being weathered. But uh, Moses is now 80 years old. Everything he has hurts at that stage, right? Everything hurts at that stage. God lights up a bush and says, hey, go overthrow Egypt. And don't worry, I'm going to send you your brother, and here's a stick. Good luck. <laughs> An 80-year-old with a stick does not seem to be, to be, to be overprepared for this. And yet Moses goes. Moses was not the easiest man in the world to work with. He could be famously quick with his temper and he, uh, God gave him a stick and he planned to use it. He hit lots of stuff with the stick. Even stuff he wasn't supposed to hit with the stick. He hit with the stick. 
Loving people did not come naturally to Moses, and that gives me hope. Moses loved people that he didn't like. Yes. Think about this. Do you love the people? God says, love the world. Do you love people? Do you like them? Not always. I don't like most of them. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't and I'm sorry, because I know a lot of you have had preachers, and they walk in going, oh, I just... I'm not one of those guys. I didn't take a preacher class. Uh, I'm a scientist, and I come from 300 years of military and law enforcement service. And so uh, I'm, I'm looking at somebody going, I can hug him or kill him. It's just a, it's a coin toss uh, at that stage, right? And even when I'm baptizing them, sometimes I'm thinking, just a little longer. Because I'm just thinking, if you let this one end, there are going to be all kinds of problems that this could solve. It, you know, and I, I love you, but I'm not sure, so sure I like you. Moses didn't like the people of Israel, but he loved them. Therefore, he was willing to do some really terrible things. Like volunteer to be lost with them, rather than be saved without them. In Ezekiel 22, and verse 30, God says... I looked for a man to stand in the gap. And I didn't find anyone. It doesn't mean much to us here, but it does mean something to me. I was born in this country, uh, but I've been back and forth to Scotland all my life. My dad's Scottish, my mom's Irish, so I was born in conflict. I know all about that. Um, and as I, I told the campus ministers, many of them who are here today, being half Irish and half Scottish is a very difficult life. Because half of you wants to get drunk, the other half refuses to pay. It's, it's frustrating. But... And then you're here and you're in a dry, dry county anyway, so, you know, it, nothing's going well. Um, anyway, uh, we had castles. We had castles all over the place. You get used to castles. Most of them were in poor repair, mind you, but there are castles there. Back in those days, you didn't have gunpowder. When you finally made a breach in the wall, you had to send people in, and the people inside had to stand in the gap. They had to become the wall. In the British Army, until after the end of the Napoleonic Wars, we had a unit called the Forlorn Hope. It's not a real happy name. It's not the you know, gathering of eagles. No, it's a Forlorn Hope. You got no shot. That's really what it's called. And it was an all-volunteer group, and it formed every single battle when you got a breach in the wall. Here's the way it worked. The British Army, the only way to be uh, promoted was to have your a superior die, then there'd be a slot open, or to volunteer for the forlorn hope and survive. Let's say you're inside of the walls, and the wall's been breached, and here comes the army. If you're in the forlorn hope, your job is to go be the wall. You be the thin red line as we called it at Sevastopol. Uh, my, my people were in that line. I had relatives in that line. The thin red line that stands up and you are the wall now. The odds are you're going to die. In fact, almost all forlorn hope people died. If you survived, you were promoted. It's not an easy way to go. Now on the outside, they've also got a forlorn hope. Their job is to be the first ones through the gap. Take, and then let their mates climb over their bodies to get in. The forlorn hope. Ezekiel chapter 22, God says, I'm looking for somebody to stand in that gap. Yes. Moses stood in the gap for his people and says, God, if you're going to send them to hell, 
you got to send me too. Paul said, take me, not them. I'll go to hell. Save my people. That's what God's looking for. And I'm looking back at this and I'm going, I'm not so sure I can handle this. And then I see an example of how to serve even when you're not happy. In John chapter 13 is one of the most known stories in all scripture and one of the least applied. John 13, Jesus is probably, we know he did this, people do this. We're going to plan our talk. I'm going to tell my people I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be lost to them. Uh, I will come again for them one day, but they're going to have to be brave. They're going to have to be strong. So he walks into the room, and they're arguing about who gets to be the, the chief guy. And you can almost see Jesus going, we tend to over-Jesus Jesus. We, we tend to try to make him too much of a Christian. Jesus made a whip, if you remember. Mm -hmm. Jesus called people snakes and sons of snakes. Yes, he did. And in this particular time, the Bible says he got the bowl and water and the towel. And I guarantee you, he wasn't singing, you know, happy songs, blue skies and rainbows. And he wasn't singing this because as he was washing their feet, nobody dared, Scripture says, say anything to him. The look on his face. He probably buffed a little hard, to be fair. You know, then the next one, and then to the next one, and they're just all quiet. Then he gets to Peter, and Peter doesn't really have any verbal breaks. So it, it left out. You know, what should be inside came outside. And he goes, you can't, you don't know. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, I got nothing to do with you. He goes, okay, wash what you want. It wasn't, if I don't wash your feet, Peter. No. He's angry. He's about to die for a bunch of idiots. Right. Am I wrong? No. I always tell my kids, well, I did when they were still at home. Now they're big and off and, and they, got, they got their life. Uh, and I, I always told them, don't be surprised when you run into an idiot. Because God made lots of them. And they're never going to run out. But also be aware that everybody gets a turn being an idiot. And that one day you're going to realize, oh, it was me. <laughs> My wife always looks at me after I've said something and says, the village in Ireland is missing its idiot, evidently. You know, and I'm like, oh, fair enough, yes. But, uh, you know, but she wins, uh, she's got me. Uh, whenever he does all this, we always say, we always put ourselves in Jesus' position there. We're in the apostles' position there. We are the people that far too often sit back and are unlovable and unlikable and claim that God's going to save us anyway. When God called us to be on the other side of the towel. All right. To be the servers instead. We have to be the first one to move when we see a need. I'll, let me just put it to you very plain. We were not saved so that you could sit and critique a worship service and decide what makes you comfortable. All right. You were not. That's right. In our church, whenever somebody comes up, and they don't do it much anymore, they did it the first three years. They would come up and say, oh, what you guys did today in worship, that made me uncomfortable. We'd look at them and say, so what? What's your point? Do you really think Jesus died so you could be comfortable? Did he say, pick up your comfy chair and follow me? <laughs> it's a cross. Get in the gap. Die for somebody. We often say, well, I'll die for you. But I'm not going to sit next to a clapper. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> 
or I'll die for you. But you know that person over there, they do that in worship. Really? That's your standard right there. I'll die for you if you meet my standard and, and, and agree with me on everything. Hey, guess what then? That makes you God. Congratulations. God likes people that you don't like. Right. And then he says, be willing to go to hell for them. Go to the gap. Stand in the gap. Now we have some people. Who, you know, we've got the most noble military here in the U.S. of any. Period. I know that. I'm proud of the British as well. But British don't tend to the wounded of their enemies like you do. The, the British don't rebuild countries like you do. It's amazing. What we need to do is be Christians that are actually more dedicated to our mission than the military is to its. Because you will either go with Bibles or you'll go with bayonets, but you are going to go. So let's go. Let's go down and, like, and love the people we don't like. I didn't intend to work with homeless. That wasn't my intention. When I got up to Detroit, the homeless exploded. We are Katrina without the rain. We are 30% unemployment. A, a child entering kindergarten in Detroit today has a 24% chance of graduating high school. We lose three out of four. It is amazing. Somebody's got to go down in there. So we go. We feed the homeless. Some, sometimes people like you guys will come up and visit to see what we're doing. And I always get this. It seems I'll be driving home with some of them and they'll be talking about the experiences and they'll say, but wait a minute. We really didn't change their life. We just fed them. I said, well, I wasn't going to change their life. I was going to feed them. They would say, but some of those people you said have been there, you've, you've seen them every single time the last four to six years. Yeah? Well, shouldn't they have changed by now? It's not up to me. They were hungry. I fed them. That's what my job is. Right. My job was to pray with them. My job was to know their name. And my job was to hug them even though they smell like urine. And that's what I did. I don't like it. I never go, ooh, hugs. I don't do that. <laughs> I don't even do that here. I'm British. We don't do that. You know, we shake hands with our wife at the end of the day. You know, it's just so... Uh, uh, by the way, she's American and normal. She always wants me to bring that up. Um, think about this. Jesus never did miracles for himself. He never asked to be in charge. Never asked anybody to serve him. And he did this. And then a few, just real shortly after, in Luke chapter 22, what happens? He finds him arguing about who's going to be boss again. And he looks at him and says, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, have people that lord it over them and say, we're doing this for your own good. Says, but among you, that will not be so. Our politicians like to say, we're doing this for your own good. No, they're not. Never did, never will. With us, we can't do the same. We can't look around and say, well, we're, we're going to make sure that everybody stays in a very tight cookie cutter line. Yeah, we can tell by looking at nature. God hates variety. <laughs> Are you insane? Let the kids play. Let them make noise. Let us make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And you think of all of this, and I was at a church recently where the elders said we're having really trouble because some people are, want to clap at a baptism. I looked at them and said, what do you think they're doing in heaven? The Bible says they're rejoicing. Do you really think a bunch of old angels are leaning back on, amen. <laughs> I mean, that's barely a noise. It's not joyful. God has said, get, every Sunday I get uncomfortable. Every Sunday. 
I started to preach once and one lady got up and started screaming, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And I was going, okay. I didn't say it out loud because I have a few verbal breaks, but I just waited. She wasn't going to quit. Long story, we had helped her family when they were robbed. They weren't members of our church, but we had replaced everything when we found out about it. And we hadn't told anybody, but she, she was there and she was just going to praise Jesus and she had great lung capacity. She kept going. The, everybody was looking at me because they didn't know what to do. So I finally I just went back and stood beside her. She was rocking, so I was rocking. That's as close as I can get to dancing because, again, British. But uh, I was um, doing my best. And uh, after a while, everybody else gathers around. There's this big mob of about 300 people at this service moving back and forth. And eventually she collapsed, you know, because there's only, a, you know, metabolism only goes so far. And she sat down, and I talked to the people about what had happened, and we all had a big prayer, putting our hands on it. And then as we were walking back up, uh, getting back in our seats, worship minister leaned over and he goes, do you want to finish your sermon? I said, no. And he says, why? I said, God didn't like it. <laughs> He poked that woman with a stick. <laughs> it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Yes, right. We gotta stand in the gap and say, you know something? My preferences and my comfort no longer count for anything. That's the kind of church we need. Amen. Now, if you want a church where you need to feel comfortable and you know what's gonna happen every time and, and you feel at peace because this is your tradition. You may be able to find one of those churches, but do not come to Rochester because you will not like it. But if you want a church where when you walk in the door, we're going to ask you the same thing God asked Moses. What's in your hand? What do you have? That's what we're going to use. I play guitar. So I teach free guitar lessons at our building and at our house a couple times a week. Neighborhood kids come in and the like. We, uh, we go. We have people that teach drama, teach keyboard, teach art, teach computer. Why? Because they know it. All right? Use it. That's what you've got. That's your stick. Let's go. Everybody does something. All right. Nobody has to ask permission. You just do. Why ask permission to do something good? We are now the largest provider of food and clothing in all of the Detroit metro region. That includes all government agencies, all para-government uh, agencies, all private agencies. We are by far the largest. And we are a poor congregation made up of mainly young couples many of whom are unemployed. But it's because they bring whatever they've got and they are not spending any time judging or critiquing. They're just getting in the gap. We tell our people it's not your job to survive. It's your job to be faithful. So that's what you do. Oh, come on. Who wants... You know, some people... I had one person say, you're hugging those people. Couldn't you get sick and die? I said, yeah, but I can get sick and die hugging a clean person too. I can get sick and die eating the wrong stuff. I can get sick. I don't want to die when I'm 100 years old of nothing in particular. You know what I mean? It's all systems failure. I'm not interested in that. I want to go out in the blaze of glory. Yes, I do. You know? Cause of death, homeless hug. You know, that's good. That, I'll take that one. Let's get back to, uh, by the way, Jesus didn't die, in other words, so that you could be a member who demanded privileges. He died so that you could know how to live like he did. Get up, get in the gap, grab the pan. You don't have to like it, just do it. You then become a mobile temple. Let's say you're to wake up in the middle of the night and you're going, oh no, I need milk, a screwdriver, and a prom dress. 
I'm going to Walmart, I guess, because that's the only place you can go and get all of those things. And so as, as you're going in, your job is not to get milk, a screwdriver, and a prom dress. Your job is to bless somebody in that room before you leave. And if you haven't, don't leave until you do. And we're serious about this. In our church, I won't ask you to do it because I don't know what your rules are. And I, I don't care that much, but I'm, I'm trying it. I'm trying it. In our church, if you were to ask how many of you are or have been waiters or waitresses, you'd see a lot of hands go up. reason is we look upon that as a ministry. See, Christians are horrible to waiters and waitresses. No waiter or waitress wants to see Christians or work Sunday afternoon. If you didn't know that, ask them. They hate it. Christians tip less, complain more, whine, and ignore them. Now that's horrible. So what we do is we tell people, tip them even if they're not yours, if you find they're being mistreated. Go hug them, talk to them, or the like. Always know their name, and then say something like, in a little bit, we're going to have a prayer, we're Christians. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? I've never been turned down by one of them, ever. Then it's very, very important. Make sure one of that table comes back in in a week or so, looks for them, and tells them we're still praying for you. This may interest you. We never tell people, well, you know, we're at that church down there and here's our worship times. Never. We don't even put that on our literature. We just love them and they follow us home. They come to us and say, by the way, where, where is your church? And we'll just say, oh, it's, it's over there. Well, when do you have worship? We don't bring it up. By the time they get to us, they're already ready. Because they've seen us go in the gap. Stand in the gap for them. Wes, I'm going to bring this up. Um, this bothered me, actually. It was a compliment, but it bothered me. Thursday night I got in, and as I was getting in, I don't know if you've ever been to the hotel thing they've got at Harding, wherever that is, and um, as you enter, they've got really slick tile, then a bit of carpet, then really slick tile, then a bit of carpet. So you go, whoa, and you flip it, whoa, and you flip it. You should go in, right? Right? Um, and being at Church of Christ campus, that's probably the most exciting thing. I'm not really sure. But, uh, uh, so I'm walking in, and there's this guy struggling with a cart with a bunch of sound equipment on it. And I just stopped and I said, do you need help with that? And he was going, no, I don't. And he was lying through his teeth, because he really did. But uh, I, I said, well, do you have anything else you need covered, carried in? And he's going, no, that's fine. I forgot entirely about it. That's what our church people are told to do. You never walk by somebody struggling. You never walk by somebody crying. You never walk by somebody who looks like they're lost. You always stop. So I never thought of it. Next morning, that was all around the campus minister thing. This guy, he's, our, he's a speaker, and he actually offered to help. That appalled me. You mean the others don't? You mean the other Christians are waiting to be served? Right? Even this morning, I got out of my car, and this lady trying to grab stuff out of her car. I said, do you need help? She goes, yes, and started loading me up. <laughs> I came in with all kinds of groceries. She was talking about the memorial service and going to be at the dinner and this, that, and the other. And she then after I put everything down, she looked at me and she goes, are you new? I went, yes. She goes, are you a visitor? And I said, yes. And she goes, well, welcome. I said, thank you. Can you tell me where the auditorium is? And I came in the wrong door. Uh, I had no idea where I was. And... She, she again was, you're, you're the speaker today. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry I loaded you down. Why? We're, all of us are supposed to be doing this. I'm appalled at the thought. 
And well, one that the young people said yesterday, speakers tend to normally just show up when they speak, like they're coming up from the floor, and then they disappear. <laughs> but, and I got to admit, my first thought was, cool. <laughs> that would be so sweet. You know, cool. I'd like to come from the ceiling, though. Really, what? <laughs> Not like the Tom Cruise one, but like more of a Jesus one. Yeah, that one. Anyway. Let's get back to Paul for a minute. He was a lawyer, top-ranking member of the Sanhedrin, and a Pharisee. That's a trifecta of self-religious importance. And yet, after he met Jesus, he was happy to make tents. And he dealt with the most obnoxious religious people that have ever walked the planet. And he still had patience with them and said, God, kill me instead of them. I love them that much. Wow. That makes no earthly sense. Well, I think that was the whole point of it. And he said, don't be drunk with wine, but be drunk with the Spirit. It is the same word, by the way. The NIV and several others kind of cringe a bit. And they'll say, don't be drunk with wine, but filled with the Spirit. Same word. Be so filled with the Spirit that what you do does not make earthly sense. Love. Wow, what a word. We say, I love ice cream, I love puppies, and I love my wife. Let's assume that's not all the same level. Love is intentionally deciding to work, live, and speak on behalf of others. You don't have to like them. You don't, you don't even have to be personable. You know, I, I get on airplanes, and I don't want to talk to anybody. I know some preachers say they convert people on airplanes. I don't. I believe in baptism. I'm assuming everybody is too late for everybody on the plane. You know, if it crashes, what am I supposed to do? You know, the moist towelettes won't do it. <laughs> I just want to be left alone, but God tends to put people there, and I realize before I leave the plane, it's my job to bless somebody. And I can't bless the pilot, because they don't like you rushing up there anymore. <laughs> so I was told. Uh, so, what do you do? God says, demonstrate your love. What have you done? Our church, you, you've got a really nice, really nice statement here. Our church has three words that every member is to do a self-check. We don't check. We don't rule over our members at all. Everything is self-check. Connect, grow, and serve. Did you today connect somebody to Jesus or to each other? Did you grow in any way spiritually today? Did you serve anybody in the name of Jesus Christ today? If not, deal with God, talk to Him about it, ask Him for your help, for His help to get it right tomorrow. Because we all blow it. All of us. But connect, grow, serve. You go up to any of our people from the age of six all the way up to dead and ask, what is the mission of this church? They will look at you immediately and say, connect, grow, serve. And then ask them, what's your ministry? Connect, grow, serve. That's our ministry. That's our program. It's important for those of you out there like me, and there are some out there that aren't naturally sweet, and I'm not either. It's hard to notice that. Every time I see somebody, I'm thinking, I could either convert them or make them a rug. I'm just not really sure, which I, I, it's, it's, it's a struggle. Something's missing in the description of Moses, Jesus, and Paul. The description of their feelings. God's not interested in your feelings. He's interested in your decision. Who are you going to be today? What are you going to do? Then step up, get in the gap, and do it. If you die, you go see Jesus. Problem solved. I may have brought this up last year. 
that I was in my office once eating a rare treat for the North. Somebody brought in some Krispy Kremes. They're not hot by the time you get them up into the frozen Northland, but there they were. My secretary said, you keep eating those, those will kill you. I said, what's the downside? <laughs> now go on, you're eating a donut, you look up and see Jesus. I'm struggling to find a negative in that scenario. <laughs> Serve God, die tired and broke. Because then you go into glory because you are part of the forlorn hope. You stepped in the gap. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Galatians 5, 6. Listen to this. The only thing that counts. God said this, not me. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Clap, no clap, hands in the air, this song, that song, this organization, that organization, doesn't matter. The only thing that matters, according to Almighty God, is faith expressing itself in love. And don't you dare let this be the arena in which you do that. You do it out there. Don't try to throw seed up against these walls and wonder why the fields aren't whitened to harvest. <laughs> You got to get out and do that. A lot of the people who come and work with us, whenever they say, we'd like to come worship with you, we'll say, we say, no, you're too far away. We'll send some people to you. Let's build a church in your house, in your restaurant, in your school, whatever. And we have lots of house churches. Um, what normally people say when we say this is, how do you control them all? We don't control anything. That's God. Let him loose. That's all we're... I don't yes. control. Are you kidding me? I have a parrot. I can't control it. How do you think I'm going to control anything else? Our elders move about among these groups. Teaching and learning. Teaching and learning. Moses knew all of this. And, and so did finally the apostles. So one of the apostles writes right before he dies. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has material needs and sees his brother, or the material possessions, and sees his brother in need but has no pity, how can the love of God be in him? Let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. Stand in the gap. Don't judge. Don't critique. Don't look down on anyone. But realize there's a gap between that person and God and you stand in the gap so that they and you may be saved together. Your elders and ministers are here. It's your tradition to have a song of invitation in this place. As they sing, if you wish to become a member of the church or if you need prayer to make yourself really an instrument of his peace, let them know as we stand and sing. <laughs>